Christina Raya, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we're breaking down problematic faves, and who knows, we may even get into cancel culture. If you'd like to suggest an upcoming topic, send us a compliment, ask us a question, or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at BreakingOutPod, or via email, BreakingOutOfBreakingInPod at gmail.com. And if you want deeper dives into everything that we cover on this podcast, subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash BreakingOutPod for just $3 a month month, you'll get bonus content like templates, curated learnings, and custom infographics. And for $10 a month, you'll get that, a sticker, and a shout-out at the end of each episode. So definitely get on board if you haven't already. So, Christina, who would you consider to be your most problematic fave? Uh, I mean, it would have to be Joss Whedon, for sure. <laughs> I yeah. Buffy the Vampire Slayer was a favorite in childhood, and then, like, really, really a favorite when I was a teenager, through reruns very formative yeah and like you know i can't say that i love all of his other work i definitely don't i stopped caring once he kind of entered the superhero world but all of his tv Mm -hmm. work i watched and definitely you know a huge influence writing wise yeah same even though i didn't see his until pretty long after like all of his work until pretty long after like childhood it was definitely formative as I got into like tv writing I would say my probably biggest problematic fave is always going to be JK Rowling because Harry Potter Harry Potter was my formative piece of media like it was it was it I my entire personality and I made so many friends around it and you know it was just it was such an important series to me because I was growing up like literally with the characters like the last book I think came out right before I went to college so right around the same age and it was just I I think my particular like age group like the the three to four years around my age that if you got in early enough, that was just your childhood. So uh, unfortunately, will always be very, very important to me. But you know, as is the topic of this podcast, there's yeah. a lot to unpack. It is because, <laughs> like you know, I, I don't think that Harry Potter's perfect. I certainly don't think that J.K. Rowling is perfect. I don't think Joss Whedon is perfect, and I don't mm-hmm. think Buffy is perfect. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. and I I do think that it's it's hard to navigate because I am both of the opinion that we must be critical of what we consume, but I am also of the opinion that people should be allowed to like things and not care about anything deeper. Like if something is good and they get something good out of it, and they don't, they're not interested in like anything that's happening behind the scenes I think that that's a fair and probably healthy perspective not for everything but like you know there is this I I feel like we're too much there's too much information all the time Mm-hmm. There's a have you have you seen the new Bo Burnham special? It came out yesterday. I no. The there's a song in his new special that he produced while in quarantine for like a year um about the internet and it's about like would you like a little bit of everything all of the time? And I was like that's such mm-hmm. a good distillation of what it's like to have access to the internet because yeah. you, I know a little bit about every single person and I am aware of a little bit of everything happening in the world all of the time and I do think that that's also bad. So I just mm-hmm. I'm con- yeah. anytime this topic comes up, I'm I am conflicted because on the one hand, again, yes, it is so, so important that we critically examine the media that we consume and that we are critical of it and that we demand better because media absolutely influences culture, which we've talked about at length. Mm-hmm. And also, 
I don't think I need to know about every little infraction that everyone commits. And I, I hate this like war zone that the internet has become where like, we're just waiting for people to fail. And in many ways we're setting them up to fail. And we are, because we want to like both feel, you know, better than them. Like, Ooh, I, I know that it's not preferred pronouns. It's just pronouns, but also it's, you know, that I, I just I find that that's a really bad mindset to be in because it's just everyone is constantly like tense about everything mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can't just enjoy things uncritically. And then it becomes this whole like ethical debate about like, are you a good person if you watch, you know, Annie Hall because it was formative? Are you a good person if you still have your old Harry Potter books, you know? Right, and right. so there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> is there a place that you would like to start? <laughs> I really don't even know. <laughs> I I think there's the the people that like to say that you you should separate the art from the artist. I think maybe starting there with that statement. I think that fundamentally you cannot separate the art from the artist because as an artist, I I I know that who I am, how I see the world, my life experience, my trauma, my uh, privilege, all of those things play into the stories I, I tell and how I tell them. And so I think that on principle, at least for me, like navigating all of this, I cannot separate. I, I often have to think about who's behind the story, even if, you know, I love it and don't see issue with it. Like sometimes I don't see issue with something and then I look at the person who made it and then I start to see like things. Sure, it puts it that, in a new perspective. Right. Um, but I think that there's, you know, nuance to then how, how you handle that when it is someone who's problematic. For you, do you make a distinction between somebody like Doss Whedon, who is like the writer director of his work versus like, um, the, the one I always go to is Adam Baldwin, the guy who's like the grumpy Republican and everything. Mm-hmm. Like he's Jane and Firefly. Right, he's... Right, right somebody in Chuck I don't remember his name I love that guy as an actor he has the worst opinions really Mm -hmm. bad opinions but like just sort of basic Republican stuff you know so he's like not a good guy but he's also not actively campaigning for anything and for me I I for now at least until something else comes out I'm sure someone's gonna tweet at us like you know Adam Baldwin did blah 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 but (laughs) like for me because he is not creatively involved in the works that he makes and because the works that he is in have so much like warmth and empathy and like he is sort of just like a mouthpiece and Mm -hmm. he's even playing almost a parody of himself in every role that he has at least the ones that I've seen him in I've decided that for that I'm oh I can consume art with him in it because he is not creatively involved but it is definitely like I've never seen the only Woody Allen movie I've ever seen is uh, Midnight in Paris which I hated at the time uh, Mm. and then I found out everything and I was like oh cool so now I don't have to watch any of this stuff anymore but I have friends of course who you know their comedic stylings were formed by Annie Hall so for me because Woody Allen is not only like writing directing but in them I can't because especially because I don't have like a a, a background in him, mm-hmm. you know, like there there I don't I don't have any baggage there. I don't have any history there. For him, I'm like no, I'm I'm not interested. I don't need to see any of it, even the formative stuff from you know many many years ago. Like I'm fine. But you know the right. actor, that's fine. Actors can have bad opinions. Like Chris Pratt and is in oh, God, a lot yeah. of stuff that I enjoy, and mm-hmm. like he hasn't really done anything bad. Everyone just sort of agrees. I don't know. Something's off about that guy. <laughs> I think he has bad opinions. Well, uh, yeah. 
And who he's like, who his current wife is and who her family is and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we, we could talk about Arnold all, all day. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I find that like actors, I'm a little bit more, not lenient on is the wrong word, you know, but like in terms of where my line is of like what yeah. art I will consume, a lot of it does come down to like, do I have a history with this work that like is sort of inextricable? And so to completely reject it doesn't make sense. Or is this person actually like creatively involved? Or are they just sort of a part of someone else's world that I don't find all the like altogether objectionable? So those are my right. main lines right now. I'm drawing new ones all the time. The world is very complicated and it sucks. <laughs> yeah. So it is complicated because I would say that I'm, I mostly agree with you. If an actor has like done harm on a set, on the job. Right. Well, and that's a totally That's different, like a totally yeah. different thing. But when it comes to opinions and it's not like their view is coming through in that work, they are just, like you said, saying the lines, being a mouthpiece for someone else who isn't problematic from my perspective, then yeah, I think it can be difficult when you have like, whatever her name is. I don't, I didn't watch um, The Mandalorian, but... Oh God, Gina Carano, yeah. <laughs> right, someone who's like inciting violence. and but that, But then it's just like, how do you draw a line? Because someone who's transphobic is inciting violence, you know, like... There's, there's mm -hmm. no, any, anyone who is advocating for the discrimination against any group of people, and that often means like endorsing a Republican candidate who is trying to limit the rights of specific human beings, like they, from my perspective, they're inciting violence, right? But then it's like, how do you, there's no way you could possibly ever draw a line. It's complicated, I think, because money is on the line and like things sure. when, when it's someone who's just like a side character in something. Sure. I think that that I can I can consume that and overlook that. I think it's much more complicated when they're the lead, because if that thing mm -hmm. makes money, then they keep getting cast and they keep making money and they keep getting to work in this industry and getting to sort of have the like benefit of being in a project that's maybe empathetic and is like the opposite of their views, but they're taking that role from someone who actually lives those views potentially, you know? And so it's like, it's a very complicated thing. I mean, I think that's a good point. I think that that's something we should say early on is that I, I think that a lot of the sort of bemoaning of cancel culture uh, forgets that the people who, the victims of these bad, talented people may have also been talented themselves. And even if they weren't, like, why are we not thinking of them? Why are we only right. thinking of, like, well, I like this artist and I wish they could keep making art versus, like, they did real harm. They are not owed this career and there's right. plenty of content. Go listen to something else. Like, look at how many female comedians Louis C.K. prevented from having any kind of career because... That's, that's exactly the one I was thinking yeah. of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, how many people said no to Weinstein? How many, you know, mm -hmm. like, we don't know yeah, who these we people could aren't have. special. Even, right. you know, even Joss Whedon, who has made some of the most formative works in, you know, our generation, like, mm -hmm. he is not unique. There are plenty of unproblematic people who are making just as interesting of work right. without causing as much harm. So, like, I, <laughs> it's fine. Right. And he's had a long career. I, I think the thing is that makes it hard about film and TV, unlike, you know, authors or even musicians, is that mm -hmm. it, there's a whole team of people who have gone into making a thing. And yes. They've worked hard, they've put in their talent and boycotting something because of the one person is is 
is hard. I think, you know, it's it's very complicated. So I think there's a big difference between like Woody Allen having a very singular vision of like he wrote a thing, he directed it and he started it and probably, you know, controlled every aspect of it because of who he is and was when making movies. He got to do whatever the fuck he wants. And then you look at something sure. like look like fucking Manhattan, which is just like repulsive. It's a fucking 40 something year old man having an affair with a 17 year old girl and it's like a romantic movie. It's a rom-com and like she's portrayed as the the aggressor in it. So like she's pursuing him and it's like, no, she fucking isn't. Yeah. And also, yeah, a lot of a lot of times we were like, well, but the woman is the, you know, X, Y, Z. And I'm like, but who's writing the woman? Exactly. If it's exactly. a man writing the it's, woman, it's just it's him. still... He's justifying it. And like in real life, Woody Allen hit on the real 17 year old actress and she was like, no. (laughs) And so, and so. Yeah. So you're distinguishing that from. From like, you know, the Buffy writer's room where Jane Espenson and Marty Noxon had voices, wrote specific episodes, were producers, where it's like much more complicated and there were directors directing specific episodes. It's much more complicated to say, like, Buffy is an example of Joss Whedon's point of view versus Manhattan is an example of Woody Allen's point of view. Right. And that's not to say that, like, I'm saying that I'm going to go support Joss Whedon, but I'm not going to support Woody Allen because, in fact, I don't I don't support either of them. And, like, when it comes to... Joss Whedon making a new movie, I wouldn't watch it. I wouldn't put my money into it. But Buffy is comfort food that I'm never gonna like abandon. You know, I'm. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a huge part of what shaped me. And so it's a matter of like, does me watching my old Buffy DVDs give him money and allow him to keep having a career? No. So I'm not gonna like keep myself up at night thinking about the fact that I'm enjoying this thing that I love that shaped me in a a variety of ways. But I am gonna think critically about it. I'm gonna think back on like the way the choices, some of the choices he made. Yeah. So okay, I'm curious, like because I, I, it's always interesting to me to talk to like especially fellow artists and know like where your line is. So like you'll you'll rewatch your Buffy DVDs because the money's Mm -hmm. already been paid. He doesn't get money because you're using a DVD player. Does streaming change that? Like, would streaming, you not stream it? Streaming is complicated because, you know, what performs well performs well. And that, you know, dictates whether or not that platform maybe wants to invest in an original show by that creator, right? And so right. I do try to find ways around streaming. For example, like, I, I'm, I wouldn't say that J.K. Rowling was a huge one for me, but I do enjoy the Harry Potter movies and Justin, my husband, loves them. And when we were first dating for a good, like, I don't know, three or four years, every September was like Harry Potter rewatch month. Mm-hmm. And well, that's when they go to school, Christina. Right, you exactly. have to watch it in yeah. September. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, and like we haven't done that in a few years, but it's something that maybe we would want to do again. And we don't own them and so we it was always like watching them on whatever they were streaming on because they were always on something i think they're on like hbo right now 
And so that's a complicated one where it's like, how would we do it as ethically as possible? Because she's someone who still very much is making money in the industry and is not really getting much industry pushback. It's it's specifically the trans community and, and allies who are being vocal, but mostly on Twitter. And like occasionally you'll see pieces about it, but it's well, always on. Well, the UK on. is a cesspool for transphobes. Right. Like right. the UK is especially toxic. I mean, not that the US is doing great, but from mm-hmm. what I understand, it's like particularly bad in the UK. Right. And, and even when I do see reporting on it, it's always on, you know, a queer website. It's never on mainstream. Unless like, mm-hmm. unless one of the actors says something thing and then like that's mm-hmm. news more the fact that they like kind of counter her mm-hmm. yeah and so that's something that I do think about how do how will I then potentially watch those movies again and not feel like I'm contributing to the perpetuation of her harmful views and like the platform that she has to spread them how much responsibility do you think an individual consumer like you or I has like first of all like how much responsibility but also just how much like how much do you take it to heart when you, you know, have to do it. Because I also always think of like, you you watch The Good Place, right? Yeah, yeah. And like, one of the, the most interesting things that I think that they did was really examine complexly how there is no ethical consumption of under capitalism. And they weren't talking about yeah. media, obviously, media mm-hmm. is this whole other can of worms. But I do think that it's an interesting framework to consider that like, there is no way to be fully ethical, you know, mm-hmm. in, in yeah. any any kind of consumption. Like, you yeah. know, maybe the writer director of a movie is great, but like the AD was a warpath or a date rapist, you know? And and mm-hmm. so it's mm-hmm. like, I know people who go all the way down the rabbit hole and they never enjoy anything. And I think that that's yeah. just, that's not sustainable. But I also agree yeah. that like when you are aware of something and when you feel strongly enough and you understand the harm that something creates, then, you know, it your complicity in it feels bad. And yeah. so I'm I'm curious for you, like where you draw the like line for yourself. Where do you go just like, well, if we just get the DVDs, then, you know, that's one, that's a one-time purchase, but then it's mm-hmm. never going back into her pockets, you know, and, and, and we're a right. single, you know, person, but also, you know, every vote counts. So one purchase <laughs> right. still feeds, you know, so like there's, yeah. there's so many pieces, like, where, where does yeah. it end? <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. It is kind of a case by case thing, you know. That's why I try not. I try not to judge anyone who operates in a. I'm just gonna watch what I like and and you know just enjoy it. I do judge people who won't engage in the conversation, who like who want to be blind yeah. to it. There are so many things that I love that are that are also problematic from a 2021 lens, like not even the people involved, but like the comedy or some of the jokes or, you Mm -hmm. know, there's so many things that are just like part of the culture that we didn't question then. Or even if I did, like there's so many things that I found, you know, racist against like Indian people as, as someone who's of Indian descent and like still loved it, even though I really hated that they did that accent that time, you know? So Mm -hmm. there, there's so many things that I love and want to talk about and dissect and also want to like talk about the ways in which it's problematic and and, an issue. And so I judge people who don't want to do that, who don't want to hear any criticism and don't want to like Mm -hmm. acknowledge yeah, who just immediately things... reject it, like, ugh, just enjoy things. Yeah, right. But I I don't judge people who are just like, you know what, I'm one person, I can only do so much, I'm like, everything. everything's so hard, because <laughs> it is, it is so, and The Good Place is a perfect example of that in 
you know, you want to buy a fucking shirt and it's just like, how much Googling do you have to do to know who made it and where it was made and was someone abused along the way? And like, it's Mm -hmm. almost so impossible to really. And then in order to find that shirt, you have to spend so much money that it's like, can you even afford that? And and so, yeah, there's just Mm -hmm. so many issues. And I understand people who want to unplug from that, like, necessity when they're just trying to relax and watch something but so for me I that's why I try not to draw hard lines it's more of like let me do the best that I can in this given scenario if I really want to watch this thing and and I will say it's honestly not such an issue because not a lot of my favorite things were made by people that are still alive that are pro- that were problematic sure. so like you know I love Hitchcock like Hitchcock movies I'm not gonna think about where my dollars are going if I want to rent Psycho, even though he was a fucking piece of shit. Like, it's not going in his Mm -hmm. pocket. It's probably going in someone's pocket who's problematic, but I, like, can't do that deep dive even if I had access to that information. Like, I can't do that if I just want to watch Psycho, you know? I think that also probably carries over to people who have been, like, solidly taken out like Weinstein like I I don't mm. even know how many movies Weinstein touched, oh my god you know? but like he's gonna die in prison any exactly. minute now. Like, right so I right. I don't feel bad about watching that kind of stuff right exactly I mean there's not a 90s movie that he didn't touch that I like that I you know don't love like every scream every fucking like slightly independent movie he touched that came out of the 90s and early 2000s and those are most of my favorite movies the thing though i sometimes will think about is like can i watch this without thinking about the the real life thing because there are certain things that are ruined for me that that i have a hard time going back with like an example (laughs) um i do have a hard time with aziz ansari on screen. Yeah, so I wrote that down. I'm curious your take because this was one that I think a lot of people were split on because it was like it, it the the stuff came out like at the peak of me too like the first mm-hmm. wave of me too kind of stuff. And right. I'm always like really curious because my take on it, especially like as things were sort of falling out around it was at least initially, it seemed like a bad date and like a guy I wouldn't recommend my friends date. Mm-hmm. But it didn't seem so like, especially because it was it was one weird date and there didn't seem to be a lot of other stuff that came out afterwards that I was like, I'm not certain why this was published. It feels like a very personal one, like person to person thing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I feel weird looking at him sometimes, but like (laughs) usually he's in like, I'm not going to watch Master of None again, but Mm -hmm. like, you know, if he's in a park, I I can't watch Parks and Rec without seeing him. And at least my understanding of the situation, I was like, I don't know. I just I feel weird about it now, but not at, you know, not I don't have a distinct opinion. So I'm curious, what what was your takeaway from that? I thought it was very poor reporting. (laughs) Uh, I think that was like number one of the way it was sort of put together and put out into the world. I do Mm -hmm. think that Aziz Ansari is conditioned the way most men are conditioned, uh, Mm -hmm. which is to pursue and convince because Mm -hmm. women are conditioned to be chased and to say no. and But not really to mean it. Right, exactly. Her mouth says no, but her eyes say yes. And like, you can't always fault men for that because that is like some women do behave that way because that's how we've been taught to behave. God forbid we enjoy sex and dating. This is why I think like culturally we need to get to a point where most men can admit that they've done something like this 
And that we mm-hmm. as a society don't label them all as like rapists and write them off, but instead right. say like, why is this the case that so many dates result in women feeling like they had been forced, they had no other choice, mm-hmm. even though no one was like holding them down and saying right. and forcing themselves on them. Like why, why is this a situation where men so often think that they just had like a normal sexual encounter that was just like didn't work out? And women Mm -hmm. are saying that they had been raped or that it was not, they didn't, they they, just like, it was a coercive situation. And and that we have to get to. And so I think it made me feel icky because like she was saying slow down and then he was like pulling his dick out and like that kind of stuff is manipulative. And and I, I think there is a layer of like knowing what you're doing to get what you want. But I also don't, know that he believed she didn't want to do that like when that came out I had a lot of interesting conversations with men including my husband and with like other straight cis men in my life who had a lot of sex in college and and what I think what what I thought was good that came out of that was that a lot of men started to think back on their own sexual experiences and started to unpack like how they view that now versus how they viewed that then and there was like a level of hope for me that came out of that but it was also really frustrating and disappointing to see that it was in such a binary way online that it was just like men being like that's not rape and that's just a bad date and like women are liars basically and then some women being like no he's a horrible person a lot of that um without it being this more nuanced discussion of can we talk about conditioning can we talk about society can we talk about gender roles can we talk about why this is all fucking bullshit and we should we should like destigmatize women wanting and enjoying sex and we should teach men that consent matters and that no does not mean yes and all of these things that i want to see happen never happened and so on the other side of that i wish he had addressed it more i wish he had talked about conditioning i wish he had acknowledged that he did do something that this woman deemed wrong he more was like we miss she misinterpreted and like we have different points of view on what that was Mm -hmm. and even his comedy special when he came back which i did watch because i was curious if he would address it he didn't really and like not in not in a in an owning owning kind of way and and i feel like that could have been an example for men but you know it's hard because he's also a man of color and it's like when we talk about these cases, so often men men of color who did something not on the job at all, but like in their personal life, their careers tend to be ruined. And then like right. white white men who do things repeatedly on the job and 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 uh, off the job and, and everywhere else. Yeah, and exactly, and they get to come back. They get to like take a year or two, like a Louis C.K. situation. Fucking Mel you know, Gibson is making another new movie. Like, oh my when God. are yeah. we going to say, hey, there's definitely another older actor who can say words that we can put in stuff? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I, so I don't like boycott him, but it does make me feel icky because the characters mm-hmm. he's played have been incredibly problematic and have like perpetuated sort of nice guy entitlement, which is just like yeah. beyond irritating. I really hated um, the second season of Master of None and just it felt such a just like guy fantasy and and writing of a woman that was just so terribly done that I wasn't looking forward to another season even before that story came out. And then mm. that story came out and it was like 
just kind of made me want to write him off because I was already kind of like, I'm not into your art because you're just such a fucking guy writing women as the way you want them to be for your own like masturbatory nonsense. And so that, so like, I, it's not like he was a favorite that I'm, that I'm, you know, missing out on. And I would watch a re, like I would watch Parks and Rec on streaming and like not feel like, oh my God, you know, I, again, I'm not boycotting him, but someone like Casey Affleck, I, n- I don't watch any of his movies. Oh yeah, no. Mm-mm. You know, I'm not, I'm not like, I have I wasn't a fan before, but he makes a lot of like Oscar Beatty type movies. And so every fucking Oscar mm-hmm. season when he has a movie, people are talking about it. And I'm like, I'll never watch this. So there's going to be a whole like batch of award winning movies or award nominated movies that have like really good other actors in them that I'm just never going to see because I refuse to support him and, and his career. Yeah, yeah. I, I The reason that I bring Aziz Ansari up, because he was also never like a huge favorite of mine. Like I liked a lot of his early stand-up. And then I'll be honest, the stand-up he was doing right before all of this came out, like there was like two specials that he did that were a lot more, you know, woke and they were less funny. And I don't mm-hmm. know if they're necessarily like, you know, related, but like he did talk a lot more without really a lot of jokes about like, did you know that women are like afraid of being followed? Like it was stuff that was like fairly straightforward. He was like, guys, we need to talk about this. Mm -hmm. And then it was so funny when that story came out. And I was like, this is a very weird arc that you're going on as he's on Zari. But I think he's a useful sort of starting point for like a lot of cancel culture and like problematic faves because like it's not a clean cut like right. issue he is a writer director right. he is also an actor he like did something definitely wrong but there's also a lot of cultural baggage that we have to unpack around how wrong we find it and like right. the behavior and then you know there's the the misfire apology which is it could be a whole genre of podcast conversations just about like let's analyze the different public apologies from celebrities i think it's also that particular situation is complicated in that if we were to hear of such stories for every single male famous person we would have no famous men cis men exactly over the age of 35 like uh, i think that culturally you know it's changed enough that there may be some younger men who haven't crossed a line like that or made a woman feel that way but for the most part, we we wouldn't have any. And I mean, and like personally, I think that's fine, but because there's enough of, <laughs> there's enough of them. Um, we, we had enough men's stories, especially above a certain age. But uh, again, sure. if only we could talk about the culture and not the, the individuals. Yeah, yeah, the one yeah. guy in some in some cases. Especially because it is, again, a man of color. And I think like, like I'm thinking about someone like Nate Parker. I don't know if you are familiar with Nate Parker. I don't think I am. Who's Nate Parker? He He's an actor, but he made a film that won, I think, at 2018 Sundance, maybe 2017. Oh, yeah, this guy. Birth of a Nation was the film that won both the grand prize oh, and yeah. the audience award at Sundance, whatever year it was. And then the story came out about this woman in his college days, allegedly he and two friends raped an unconscious woman. And the story made news because she she had also died by suicide later on. And I'm pretty sure his career is over. I think he's been in a couple things, but he went from being like the hot new director who had won both big awards at Sundance, had this big movie coming out. And it very specifically was like a critical movie 
about race because it was named after Birth of a Nation, which is like one of the earliest movies that's really fucking racist and horrible. Um, And this was like subverting that. I didn't see it. But that's an example of someone who did something in their past who, you know, as far as I know, nothing, there were no other stories to come after college and nothing about being on Mm -hmm. the job. And he was like 100% canceled, I would say. And then you have white men who like have stories that are from yesterday, not, you know, Mm -hmm. 20 years ago and on the job and like they get to keep working. And that's not to say that I think like Nate Parker shouldn't, have suffered any social consequences, but I think, like, we need to get to the point where white men suffer the same consequences, at least. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, we should at least, you know, <laughs> knock the gavel down evenly. Right. I also, so, I, so I'm curious, because something that you brought up is something I also wanted to talk about, about, you know, like, it happened 20 years ago, and to your knowledge, it hasn't happened since, mm-hmm. and nothing else came out as a result. So I'm curious for you, like, is, do you have a general sort of sense of like is there a statute of limitations for you especially if like somebody has apologized like we can we should unpack apologies in a little bit but like I'm (laughs) curious because like there's plenty of people I think rape nah no no rape never like go to hell you know you can just die rape murder like nope that you're done you're done friends but like for people who you know used to make problematic comments let's say let's you know Mm -hmm. pick any white male comedian and then if they've apologized at some point is there like any coming back for that is there no coming back from that like i i have complicated feelings about this i feel like in some cases people don't want people to apologize and if they do Mm -hmm. their apology gets picked apart and it's like well you're not really sorry because your whole career was like based on this one thing and now you know you want to just like keep working like nothing ever happened but like you you perpetuated harm you know but they're like well i i finally understand the like complexities of what i was doing and i really apologize and i've made a donation whatever like do people ever get to move on yeah i think you know people need to be allowed to grow because that's real people do Mm -hmm. grow i think it's hard when they only address that growth or apologize when they're being called out when it's been brought to someone's attention um you know like if someone did stand up and they made a bunch of homophobic jokes for like a decade and they've had a career that's gone on since then and they've made a bunch of movies and like in those movies there's good representation of queer characters and they've vocally supported the queer community and they've said things that counter what they used to say even if they haven't apologized I think like yeah you can that's fine like they should be allowed to grow because we all grow we've all been problematic at that turning Mm -hmm. point we're all problematic at some point until we like catch up right Mm -hmm. Uh, as you said earlier and so I think that's okay. I I question it when it's someone who like continues to perpetuate harm through either actually continuing to say things or um, right, but I, I think that that's things. different. Right, or even if they haven't, they've just been silent. Like if they used to say mm-hmm. certain things and now they say nothing, and then they get called out and they apologize, but they haven't actually done anything to show that they feel differently since then or or view. They have different opinions. And so I think it's, you know, it's complicated. If they're, uh, you know, we should talk about apologies. Because I think apo- the way they apologize and what they say and whether or not they say something like, you know, I'm, I apologize if you were offended as opposed to, right, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm for sorry that I, you felt bad. Right, exactly. <laughs> the way they apologize 
and what and how like the specifics of what they say they're going to do better I think plays sure. a big role in in whether or not I personally feel okay with continuing to support them. Yeah, and I I do think though it's interesting because you said a couple of times like the word show like they haven't shown that they've you know whatever they haven't made a public declaration what one way or another because like a lot of times celebrities will be like I've already spoken to like the person that you've all unveiled that I was shitty to mm-hmm. privately and like we've worked it out but now the public demands it and I I think that in some cases I think the public deserves that but there's there's also a sense of like how much of our need is related to like watching famous people, you know, look vulnerable. How much of right. demanding apologies is not about them making better decisions and being a contributing member of a positively contributing member of society and how much is it that we're 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 giving them a new opportunity to fail but i do personally believe that in a lot of cases a public response is necessary because if you are in the public eye and you make no public response people who are fans of yours uncritically will go on thinking that like well everyone else is just being sensitive and they will go on thinking that to not say anything like you you do have to to a certain extent if you publicly fuck up or it is made public that you a public figure fucked up you I do think that there is a level of responsibility that you have to address that in whatever way makes sense and then you know of course change behavior because I do think that like it, it if you don't say anything and you just say stuff privately like a lot of people won't see that and you are going to perpetuate harm by not making a public statement of like nope this is this is the new line <laughs> I've, uh, this is what I say now. This is what I, my opinion is. Anyone who thinks otherwise, you are not listening to me. If you are a fan of mine, this is my opinion. So get on board. And I do think that that is an important facet. I agree. I think that cancel culture is complicated because I mean, I don't think that, I don't think that it really exists because I don't think anyone ever really gets canceled except for like a handful of people of color who like do something egregious. Would you consider Harvey Weinstein a victim of cancel culture. <laughs> but that's, I like, I just reject the title because it's like, it's consequences, right? And he's not disappeared from the world. Like we still see him. We can talk about him. We know he exists. We can find out what he's up to if, if we want to. Uh, so it's like, he's just, he's serving time for what he did. Yeah, I mean, and that's like a literal sense of like, he broke the law, he was yeah. arrested. He can't work because right. he's in jail and definitely dying any day now. I right. do think, so I, I agree that I think cancel culture is largely nonsense. <laughs> right, I mean, like most people who we've canceled are just fine. Like they still have a following, mm-hmm. they're still tweeting, they're still, you know, they still like get hired for the most part. It's just we should be able to talk about the whole of a person. And mm-hmm. and that's why I think it's just like, I don't know. I didn't find out that Charlie Chaplin, for instance, was like a fucking creeper on 15-year-old girls all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's something that like I took film 101. I took a whole bunch of film classes and people <laughs> talked about him. They talked about his life. We watched a bunch of his movies, what an influence he had. Not once was it brought up that he was a fucking creep. And so like... I'm not saying we shouldn't have watched all of his movies and talk about the influence that he had, but if we're going to talk about the life that he led, we should have also brought up the fact that he was a fucking creep. So, like, to me, it's just about acknowledging who people are in full and when someone does something wrong because they're public figures, talking about that public thing. That, to me, is not cancel culture. Yeah, so I think that 
the more interesting conversation about cancel culture is happening in digital spaces, like for digital creators. Because I, I think that there has been a lot of examples of people who get famous faster than they get money, people who have millions of subscribers and who are making a decent living online, but don't have a team. It's largely still them where, you know, if something happens, you know, what, like, you're, are you familiar with ContraPoints? Mm-mm. I think you would like a lot of her videos, but she's a she's a trans YouTuber, like philosopher, video essayist, and she was canceled because uh, she was doing a video essay about like the concept of opulence and like you know the the aesthetic of wealth, and um, she had a particular uh, trans activist read one of the like quotes because like a lot of these video essayists will have guest stars like read you know quotes from like J.K. Rowling or like if they're talking about J.K. Rowling or stuff like that, and so like it, it you know it just becomes sort of a like low-key collaboration and so she invites this other trans person to voice like a single line um and then people like who don't like this person because they have their own complicated past in trans issues and like talking about non-binary community um canceled contrapoints as a result and then used both that situation and then like a series of receipts that they'd gathered over the course of their life to like completely barrage ContraPoints. Natalie Wynn is her her full name um, for like everything. And now anytime she sort of appears on social media, there is a contingent of people who are continuously bringing up the same allegations over and over again. And like she is one of the people who made like a big uh, I think she did like an hour and a half long video on cancel culture, which I definitely recommend everyone checks out because it's whether or not you agree with her. I think it's an interesting exploration of the topic and of the different mm. ways that it affects people. But like mm. to this day, I still see like anytime she posts a video, there's like a minor trending topic where people are there like, hey, but didn't you hear that she once had like a, you know, non-binary hater, like as a actor mm. in one of her pieces, you know, and like over and over and over and over and over again. And things just like add up even if you've apologized for one thing Mm. people you know who are who grew up online who find that like they get status over tearing down other people and like proving well i'm a better person Mm because i never did this and like it's a cycle of abuse that people are like get are, are a part of and sure they may have made a mistake at one point but like the harm of it was so limited that and it was far outweighed by the response and when you are a single person or like a handful of people versus like a big celebrity with a huge team around you i do think that that hits different and there is yeah. no differing of response there is the same level of vitriol against some of these mm-hmm. you know single person youtube channels as there is against a casey affleck you know right. and that we have to unpack that that's different those are fully different situations even if like the the thing is the the infraction is largely the same or even if it definitely isn't the reaction is the same and i think that that's bad i think that we are breeding a community a a culture on the internet where there is no nuance like that's a word you used a while back like we need to see the person as a whole person and that's not a popular opinion these days and in some cases full monster absolutely but in other cases a person with no Mm -hmm. Like anything going between them with no one to like ask before they tweet and then to be tormented for the rest of their existence for, you know, a single mistake that they have apologized for, but Mm -hmm. not everyone has seen the apology as has seen the offending comment. And I, I think that 
we have to do something about the way like the the nuance being stripped away from absolutely everything like the fact that we're not having conversations like this in every situation and not everyone is taught to think critically about their own sort of like vitriolic response to something Mm -hmm. bad yes a thing a bad thing happened your response has to be like at least on the same plane of existence. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't exist anymore because clout is now largely generated by, you know, having the right opinions, having right. like being on the right side of every ethical dilemma as if there is a right or wrong side, you right. know? Yeah. And I don't, I, it scares me every day. Like I'm way more online than you are. And I'm in, I'm on more platforms, I think, than you are kind of watching as things go down. And it really scares me that this new generation mm-hmm. is growing up in an ecosystem, in a communication ecosystem where there is no nuance. Like, I remember how pissed off people were. There was a picture of Oscar Isaac back in, like, early Star Wars days, like 2016, um... There was a picture of Oscar Isaac in one of those out of print shirts. You know the out of print, the um like uh old book cover t-shirts basically. Um there he mm-hmm. was wearing an Atlas shrugged shirt. He was wearing like an out of print Atlas shrugged print shirt and like Tumblr mm. went insane for like a week. Mm. <laughs> and the response <laughs> proportional is the word I've been looking for. That was not a proportional response. And like right. I don't pretend to know that if Oscar Isaac is an objectivist or a libertarian or right, not. Right, right. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> To my knowledge, he's never done anything. He's never acted on it in any meaningful way that affects poultry one way or the other. But like the fact that a man who everyone generally liked can wear an Atlas Shrugged shirt, which is not a statement. It's just Mm -hmm. a shirt. And to have the entire response be so like all right, he's canceled. Oscar Isaac is bad. Nobody can like him. Nobody can watch <laughs> oh Star God. Wars. Like, obviously that didn't get very far, but that is the kind of opinion that like so much of the internet has at this point. And when we do that on that minor of a level, like one step further of infraction and like they go ballistic and it, I don't know how to fix that as, you know, a single person, as a person with any level of platform, like how do you fix that? How do we add nuance back to the internet when we're barraged by information all the time and you're not ever going to have enough information to fully, you know, judge a person's soul, you know, how how do we, how do we navigate this? I mean, I really don't know. I agree with you that that just like can't be the way that we (laughs) engage. I think that if I ever got to a certain level of fame, which I really don't want um, I mean, like, I, I, I'm, I think, maybe unique in that I, I want to get to a level where I can, like, make stuff and make enough money off of that stuff that I can keep making stuff, but I don't want to be mm-hmm. walking around and being recognized. I'd, like, that seems sure. like the worst case scenario in life for me. But sure. the point is that I think that I would, like, get off of social media if I got to a certain level of fame because I would not be able to handle that. And I... But mm-hmm. but we're similar to everything we teach, like you have to be on social media when you're trying to build an audience. And so like if right. you're at a point where you don't have publicists and people that can like shield you from help you vet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But you you're at a certain level of of recognition that people are calling you out for for things that mistakes that you've made in the past that. Like, how do you balance that? And I don't know. And I think it is scary because if everyone was documented the way that people who are trying to build an audience document, right, then everyone would have stuff that we could 
sight from their past. Like that's just a reality mm-hmm. because we're all we're all conditioned and shaped in the culture that we were born into. And of course, we have different Thresholds. bases. Yeah, exactly. And like different things that we maybe were already sensitive to because of our own identities that so like mistakes that we personally wouldn't have made but we would have made other mistakes right i i i don't know how we fix that because there's there's so many a proportional response doesn't get you new followers and i I think that's the, the worst thing that social media has done is turned like having nuanced conversations about ethics into opportunities to like gain prestige and so instead of it being we should have a critical conversation about the way that men date and the way that they are taught to approach sex and vice versa the way that we are setting women up Mm -hmm. to fail and to be in traumatic situations by nature of them not being allowed to be in untraumatic ones like Mm -hmm. instead of that we just have like anyone who watches parks and rec is a nazi and it's like wow okay i think that maybe we need to take a step back right (laughs) but then then that person is going to get called out (laughs) like the person who's like hey maybe let's calm down that person is a bad person and then like you'll find one problematic tweet from them in the past like it never ends. I do think that's that's why it's hard. Like as much as I want men to acknowledge their own misdeeds so that we can push the culture forward, I, like that one man that chooses to do it is not going to receive any level of like nuanced response. They're just going to be canceled, right? Like in in this mm-hmm. sort of loose definition of what that is, even though you know. So it sure. it, it just means like if you own up to something before someone else calls you out for it, you're just like setting yourself up. Pre-canceling for, yourself. Yeah, exactly. And because there, there's no way to have this actual conversation mm-hmm. online. But but I think that at the same time, I like to believe, I don't know if I if this is true because I'm, I don't have any data to cite, but uh, <laughs> I like to believe that while people may be reacting a certain way online there are also more conversations like the one we're having happening and like the private conversations I've had like after the Aziz Ansari thing while it did feel like this binary was happening online I also participated in a lot more nuanced one-on-one real-life conversations with people whose like perspective maybe did shift a little bit. Worth mentioning that happened outside of a pandemic and I think that that's something that makes Mm -hmm. me really nervous because right now most discourse is happening on the internet virtually yeah you know where we're all just stuck in this like chamber of misery all i can do is sit in a room and hear about miserable things all the time and if i don't you know mention palestine enough on my twitter feed Mm -hmm. then i'm a zionist and it's like yeah we're recording this during like the height of that particular Mm -hmm. uh online debate i guess that's happening yeah you know the debate about whether a genocide is fine or not i'm curious Mm -hmm. uh from your perspective christina because obviously both of us have like activist leanings even if we Mm -hmm. wouldn't maybe necessarily call ourselves activists but what i'm curious about is like the the sort of celebrity activists dichotomy because Mm -hmm. i think in some cases like asking celebrities to be activists is itself problematic Especially because, like, activists are highly educated people who dedicate their lives to understanding the, like, issue and the ramifications and the culture around that issue. And most celebrities, especially when, like, activism is hoisted upon them, are not Mm -hmm. prepared for that and are, frankly, even if they're on the right side of things, not, like, 
helpful. Like mm-hmm. Mark Ruffalo recently spoke up. Well, he he like said something about Palestine and then he took it back. And then he backpedaled. <laughs> and yeah. he's also yeah. been a an activist for a number of other causes. Like he's big in the climate activist world. Um, and he mm-hmm. he's done a couple of things there. And it's like, well, should we be looking to Mark Ruffalo for opinions on the Israeli-Palestine right. conflict? Like, did he need to say anything? But like, you know, he's a celebrity activist. It comes up, you know? And I just... Yeah. I. I wish we didn't care what celebrities thought. That's not their job. I do, it's it's complicated because I do think okay, first of they all, have I think a million times the power that you and I have and exactly. you know, it would be cool if people in power could use it responsibly. Right. And like people who I find out about things I didn't know about, like injustices in the world by specifically following activists, right? But if you're mm-hmm. not someone who is interested in being socially aware, But if you knew about something, you would care, but you're not seeking out that information, but you follow a bunch of celebrities because that's what you care about. You care about celebrity culture and these celebrities are sharing these things that are making you aware. So like, I I do appreciate celebrities who speak out because I, I know that they're going to reach a lot of people who are never going to seek out that information themselves, unfortunately, because that's like the culture that we live right. in. What's complicated then is when they when they get harassed for not speaking out about every single thing equally. Mm-hmm. When it's like a white celebrity who has a platform and isn't saying anything, part of me like just knee-jerk reaction is to judge them a little bit for like not using their platform to counter their own privilege when they are the beneficiaries of a structure. Yeah, and I think that's important. I think that's an important framework because like, you know, I shared a lot more about like the George Floyd protests than Mm -hmm. say uh, Israeli-Palestine. I don't have Mm -hmm. a dog in that race, right? Like I'm not Jewish. I'm not Middle Eastern. Like I have literally nothing to do with this conflict. And while I have my opinions, I don't Mm -hmm. necessarily know if myself or anyone that I know, frankly, is going to be useful in this beyond like being aware and if some shit is said maybe trying to respond but like in my right. pl- I, like, that's not really my place and I and I'm not a beneficiary one way or the other of that versus obviously George Floyd I am a white woman in America I have benefit a lot from being a white woman in America and you know that was that 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 seemed right. to be where I wanted to put my energy more yeah I think it is complicated because you know a lot of the like criticism of people who have spoken out about Israel and Palestine has been like why aren't you saying things about other injustices in other countries why are you only talking about Israel but the the issue is that American dollars fund Israel and like specifically their weaponry so it is that we as Americans like how we who we vote for and then how they vote in Congress does influence that particular conflict And so I do understand the people who are really pushing for people to say something about it because it's American dollars. So that it's like it is us versus like a push for, I mean, it's hard to even say that like any country's conflict isn't rooted in fucking American imperialism. So it's like really hard to say that there's any situation where we don't have our hands are fully clean. Yeah, yeah, because we're just the worst. The point is, like, I don't think that we should get on people for not saying the exact thing that we expect them to say on social media at the time that we expect it, because we don't know what they're doing offline. We don't know where they're donating mm-hmm. money. What what I think that where there can be criticism is when they're saying something online, but then we know that they're like putting money into the opposite 
you know, cause. Right. The hypocrisy is rough right. or when they are benefiting from something and saying nothing or, you know, when when something that they did fueled something in the future and they have are taking no part in attempting to dismantle it. Right. But activism does need to a certain extent to be personal. Yeah. And I, I do think that it's important to not cancel people for not making a fully impersonal issue their own. And I'm not saying specifically Israeli-Palestine. It's just that happens to be the zeitgeist of the week Thing, yeah, in terms of activism yeah. and celebrity circles. And yeah. I, I think that maybe we should just everybody needs to calm down. That's my official opinion of <laughs> your favorite problematic is everyone needs to calm down. I think we're in a situation because of the pandemic over the last year where so much of people's lives have been online and mm-hmm. pe- like I know that I I used to like rarely share things in Instagram stories and now I'm at the point where I have something in my story going every single day because I just like I see something and I share it I see something and I share sure. it. and it's usually like trying to keep something relevant when it's no longer in the zeitgeist because I also know that I have certain family members who follow me on social media who either are not politically engaged I mean, none of my family is like Republican, but I have a lot of centrist extended family. And so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that I share specifically for them to like put it in their faces for like seven people um, because I want them to be confronted with something. But I, I have been trying to wean myself off of that lately because I'm like, I can't, this is not healthy. I can't live Mm -hmm. in this way where like, I feel compelled to say something about everything always. That cannot mm-hmm. be how I live my life. I need to, because I know that I am paying attention to who I vote for. I am mm-hmm. looking for organizations, activism organizations to give money to, to volunteer my time to. I know that I am doing the work offline and I can, and, and I cannot, like it's not good for anyone's mental health and definitely not my own to feel like I also need to show that off through mm-hmm. performance. That can't, you know, that can't be our barometer for whether or not someone's doing their part. And right. we have, like, I find, catch myself doing it too, where I'm like, oh, so and so didn't. I noticed they didn't share something about this, but they shared st- a bunch of stuff about that. But then I have to catch myself and be like, well, I don't know what they're doing offline. And I like, I can't just mm-hmm. make an form an opinion on them on their lack of an Instagram story. Like that's absurd, right. you know. And so, but I understand how we can fall into that because that's been this last year of like our mm-hmm. our lives and how people engage and interact. And, yeah, because we haven't been living them; we've been performing them. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and so I don't know. It's a balancing act because I I'm not going to like stop amplifying things like it's still very important to amplify things and we wouldn't be at this moment specifically in israel palestine if it weren't for the amplification of voices who who had been silenced before right and so Especially as they're bombing news buildings. Right. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So we veered pretty far off topic. Um, I have, I have a couple of final things that I want to ask. So I, so one thing that I want to ask, because we've kind of danced around this earlier, but I think it's an important thing to talk about for a film podcast. What do you think the responsibility is of the cast and crew when working with problematic people, when potentially being hired to work with problematic people? Because I think something we saw like early on in the pandemic is a lot of like, actors trying to make better conscious decisions but that's Mm -hmm. not always possible when you're like a lower level person like it's really hard to work in the film industry how much responsibility does a pa have you know if like they don't have any jobs and then a woody allen movie happens to be filming in their area right like i'm of the opinion that it's about the people in power we hold the people in power accountable 
And sure. when it's like a really famous Oscar winning actor choosing to work with Woody Allen, I'm going to fucking judge them. When it's like right. a new actor just trying to get into the industry, just trying to like have any kind of role because it is so fucking hard. And they and they this is like one movie that they can get into. It's going to get them to the next level. That'll give them a platform to maybe one day say like I regret doing that but like it's the only the only reason I'm able to say I regret doing that is because I did that you know like I'm not gonna hold those people accountable I feel the same about toxic companies like you Mm -hmm. hold the people at the top accountable not the employees like I'm not gonna judge anyone for staying in at a company when like there are no jobs everyone needs to pay their bills everyone needs to to make a living. Yeah, like I have friends that work at Amazon in like their web services department and their engineering departments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, oh my you god, so Mindy Kaling has a movie streaming with Amazon Prime. Like, right? It's just like it's it's so hard because it does it ends up being like you know working within the system to change the system, and it's so hard to change the system. And I don't necessarily right. believe that you can change the Hollywood machine the same way. I don't believe that you can change like American capitalism like i don't think that you can change it necessarily by working within it but like what else are you supposed to do like go live in the woods Mm -hmm. and and just like forage and and like that's Mm -hmm. your life and so i think as artists we have it's a lot about weighing weighing the the impact and and coming to conclusions about like what what you can live with you know and it's like Mm -hmm. we'll being in this movie or working on this movie have helped change the culture because of the reach it's going to have and the message that it has even though this person that's part of it is problematic like is that bigger than some money going in their pocket because it's going to go in their pocket even if I'm like part of it or not you know and so Mm -hmm. trying to make the best decision in every scenario and that every scenario is its own unique thing and giving yourself a break when you find out or when you when there's just you're just tired you need something you're going to order from Amazon you know right, you're right. just tired you need something you want to rewatch buffy you know and yeah. it's like i, I like yeah. i mean if going back to the good place chidi i think is the most like the best character in so many ways just because like he exemplifies the constant torment of like keeping yourself to such a high standard that like every choice is agony and that mm-hmm. is no way to live and i it's appreciate not. that the show went in the position of like chidi's also in hell <laughs> yeah, and like because yeah. that his constant agony made other people around him agonize whether it was because he was irritating to them or because he just made them feel bad about everything they did and that also has consequences we live in a society you know we mm-hmm. n- no man is an island we do affect one another and it is not fair to like <laughs> to make everyone feel like they're on edge all of the time otherwise they're a bad person like that is an mm-hmm. unfair precedent for anyone to set be set up for especially in a society as complicated as ours and i i think that our responsibility as individual consumers of art of anything is to just make the best decision that we can be thoughtful mm-hmm. be willing to acknowledge harm and to correct it if you find mm-hmm. that you have caused it and mm-hmm. to do your best to live every day more like aware and conscious and like thoughtfully as you did the day before And that's all anyone can possibly ask of anyone. Yeah. 
I agree. It's easier said than done, right? Oh, of like, course. Well, I mean, that's I'm, the thing is it's like, yeah. that's why Chidi's so relatable because like yeah. in every moment we could be doing better. Right now, you and I could probably be yeah. doing like a million things better. Who knows who manufactured mm -hmm. my podcast recording equipment? Uh, you know, okay. like the, yeah. the pe people who purchased it, like the way, you know, whatever. Like there's so many things. Zoom. Oh my goodness, let's talk uh, about yes. Zoom, which is what we're using to talk to each other right now and which we now pay for in order to yeah. have easy access to guest audio and backup audio. Like, let's talk about Google. We're using Google Docs to like yeah. write our scripts and organize our life. Google is a you know, terrifying conglomerate that's definitely going to end the world if Amazon doesn't mm -hmm. get there first. <laughs> yeah. As someone who I I feel guilty about like little mistakes I made when I was like five, you know, like that's mm -hmm. like I'm haunted by those moments of mistakes I made before my brain was even fully developed. Um, and I constantly, constantly feel like I'm not doing enough. Like in every mm -hmm. given scenario, 100%. like in the world at large, constantly, mm -hmm. that's my feeling. But I, you know, I'm getting better at forgiving myself and, and just getting comfortable with trying to just do my best and accepting that my best is my best, you know? And so while it is, I don't think that everyone has the personal responsibility to like, boycott and decide like where their lines mm. are you, you not everyone has to do that i, I you know and not I everyone has to have do... the same lines in right, order exactly. to be good people right right but i think that at that minimum just like be willing to have that conversation and grow from it like even if it's mm. just a matter of you know you love this movie i want to tell you why i find it offensive <laughs> and like <laughs> you don't shut me down like i think that's really right. where we should be and then not have to live in this binary of course and unfortunately so much of the internet is that it's like either you're mm -hmm. a good person or you're a bad person either once bad you know, always bad no nuance yeah. no growth you either right. come out of the womb perfectly formed or you're nothing <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> It's just, it's rough. And I, I'll admit that a lot of this is like, I'm on Tumblr and I, I tend to be in like the least toxic areas of Tumblr, but like even the least toxic areas of Tumblr, it gets rough. Like it gets mm -hmm. so rough. The whiplash is insane. No, I, I think that this has been a cool conversation. Um, I One of the ideas I had for bonus Patreon content, for those of you who are considering joining us on Patreon, um, our very unproblematic Patreon, is I, I was going <laughs> to do an infographic at the very least of like some strategies for like mitigating harm when you want to engage with a problematic fave uh, and the different things that like maybe you could consider if you're like, I feel guilty about watching Buffy. Let's just use that as an example. Mm -hmm. and But I really want to watch it. What are some ways that like maybe I can I can put better out into the world and still like be allowed to enjoy this thing I enjoy? And so uh, we're, we're going to maybe put some thoughts around that and and uh, some, you know, articles about maybe we'll do some another talking points infographic about like how to talk to people who want to try to shut down the conversation. Like, just let me enjoy this. Why can't you just enjoy things? <laughs> mm -hmm. It's like, well, I can enjoy them and think critically about them, you know, so like maybe yeah. we'll put some of that stuff. So if this is a conversation that you're interested in having with people in your life, perhaps join us on Patreon and we will help you start that. Great. Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them, as always, are in our episode description. And thank you to our booby VIPs who are $10 patrons, Shannon Sprangler, Jules Piggott, Rain Bernal, Kelsey Rauber, Jerry Maravia, Norman Steinberg, and Shana Rose Woolley. 
if you would like a name shout out at the end of every episode, please feel free to subscribe at patreon.com slash breaking out pod. You get bonus content and notifications of all of our new episodes dropping every other Thursday. And also speaking of new episodes, please feel free to uh, rate us five stars and uh, write us an actual review because it does make a big difference. Christina somehow knows every single time that we get a new rating, which we have <laughs> really, really enjoyed. Thank you so much. But uh, please actually write something because we love reading what you have to say, um, good or bad, although I, I hope it's good. If you want to say something bad to us, say it to us on Twitter. Um, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> next episode, we are going to be covering all of the creative filmmaking cheats that we or people that we know have employed to make filmmaking a little bit cheaper and more accessible to all. So we will see you then.